I'm Gran. And I'm Eric. And we're going to break down the Bills draft from last week. Uh, we did do an episode where we kind of previewed the draft, so check that one out before this one and uh, see if what we said before the draft lines up with what we're saying now. It's been a little while. And leave five stars. Yeah, five, because we need ad revenue. We should start um, just by pretending there are ads. Dude, I was thinking about that. Yeah. We should totally like do ads as well, just for our friends and stuff, for their businesses, even that, because even though they're not owners of these businesses, right, right, and just promote or or just promote things they do, like you know Ben's woodworking shop. Give him a call; he'll sure. make you a canoe. You know that kind of a thing. Yeah. Jake Brown sporting long hair. He has the, long hair. The care that goes into that it seems exhausting. Anyway. <laughs> I think if we pretend we have ads, it'll just seem professional, and then eventually people Next will be time, like, man, they've got we each so bring many in ads. An ad read. we got to get in on this yeah. ad revenue. <laughs> Definitely. Well, next time we'll have some sponsors, real sponsors, probably. So we'll start off by just kind of running through what the Bills ended up doing, because the draft was really interesting, and it didn't shake out exactly the way that anybody predicted that it would. You can't find a mock draft that was, like, even remotely accurate here. So mine... Had four correct picks, the first four, which even that I think was impressive because I was with, you know, my whole family did a draft party thing, and the Trey Lance pick was not the popular pick. Everybody wants to say, they're like, oh yeah, we all knew the 49ers were going to do that, but I don't think that was the consensus opinion, was it? Um, not Definitely not consensus, but I think that there were a lot of people who saw through the smoke, that smoke screen that was... Mac Jones, people were like, okay, we've got two freak athletes at the quarterback position still available, and you're going to go with the dude who, you know, has a pop gun arm and is basically a poor man's Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah. Don't know. Well, it's still a but little risky, job, obviously, you know, going with a guy who's hasn't even played against Power 5 or even top-level Division One talent. But he's got the tools, so he's that Josh Allen comparable guy. So I kind of... You know, I hope he pans out. Anyway, first four picks, and I did have the Greg Rousseau pick, so I do deserve credit for that. I had Rousseau going to the Bills at 30. Nice. Good for you, Greg. I got, I'm looking at my mock draft, I got eight picks. That were on the nose, like perfect picks? Eight picks. Eight picks that were like right team but different spot because of the way everything shook out. You know, like right team, right player, but not pick number 25, for instance, versus pick number 26. Sure. So I'll take it. One thing that I'd like to talk about is some of the crazier picks. If we have time, I don't know. We don't, we don't want to get it going sure. too long, but I'm already starting to think about some of these picks and some of the interesting things that happened. But if we start with the Bills and their first pick of the draft, they pick 
Greg Rousseau at 30, and you should probably talk about this first because he was your look out and don't draft this guy advice in our last podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I still think that in my perfect world, the Bills trade down and get somebody different in the second round and also pick up some extra selections for it. Uh, after reading all this stuff about Greg Rousseau, like his family's connection to Buffalo and, and, you know, him being or growing up a Bills fan, I think that's really cool. I didn't know any of that before. I do like Greg Rousseau as a person. I think he fits in that locker room. He seems like a hardworking dude, nice, humble. The thing that I don't like is that he has a little bit of an injury history. He did opt out last season after a monster redshirt freshman year, and he's not super technically sound. He's more of like just an athlete at this point, I think. And we have seen with the Bills defensive line right now, like Ed Oliver, same kind of dude. Like he's a, he's a freak athlete but he's not super technically sound, and it seems like thus far he, his technique has not been refined at the next level. And I just worry that maybe that's gonna be the case with a Greg Rousseau. So I just figured, you know, instead of taking some crazy athlete, it would be nice to have a guy who's more technically sound right from the start, but It whatever. seems like their priority is on guys who are versatile and can play a little bit outside, a little bit of inside, and are like a jack-of-all-trades on the defensive line, but not really a master of any of them. Like, Ed Oliver sort of fits into that boat, but they've now dedicated four premier draft picks, if you want to say that the first two rounds are premier draft picks, mm-hmm. to the defensive line in the past three drafts. So you've got Ed Oliver first round in 2019 and then last year your top pick which was a second round pick is AJ Epineza and now you go with Rousseau and then Boogie Basham Carlos Basham in the second round which is another one of those where does he fit on the defensive line type guys so if they do turn out to be players who can play outside or inside and they're all over the defensive line and the other offense has no idea where these guys are line up and what they're going to do that's great but if it turns into you just took four swings at the defensive line and only one or two of them hit, then you're a problem. That, that's not going to yeah. work out. So I like the Rousseau pick because he's a monster. Like, you look at this picture of him standing next to McDermott and Bean, and he just looks like a giant person. And he's got physical tools that could turn out to be difference, difference-making tools on an NFL roster. So I hope he pans out, and I appreciated the pick because he seems like a good, good guy and a good addition, which you seem yeah. to agree with. But the second pick was mind-blowing to me. I couldn't for the life of me understand why they needed to go with another defensive end. And I read about why they decided to do it. And basically, Bean gives you know the same explanation every time. It's like, we had a list. We had a list of who was the most valuable player at that spot. Didn't matter what other players we had. You know, If it had been a quarterback, we'd have taken him or whatever. But there it was, another defensive end sitting at the top of the list and they take uh boogie basham out of wake forest with pick 61 so what did you think of that idea uh like you i was a little bit shocked um my reaction wasn't in uh 
Yeah, what, real time, I guess, because I was waking up the next morning and seeing what the pick was. I thought that I was looking at the wrong slot and that a different team had drafted Boogie Basham at first because I was so shocked that they doubled down on the defensive ends. Um, the interesting thing about Boogie Basham that you just mentioned with Greg Rousseau, I think Boogie Basham fits this style they're looking for in a defensive lineman much better than uh, Greg Rousseau because... He is this real deal kind of hybrid dude. He's a little bit shorter, a little bit thicker. And I saw one report that said like he could easily add a couple pounds and kick inside actually with his playing style as is. So we spoke about in our preview pod, you know, defensive end being a major need, but maybe also hitting on defensive tackle at some point. And so I think Boogie Basham kind of, you know, fills both needs, but I don't like, I mean, he's, he's a great player and whatever. I just don't like that the Bills did two defensive lineman picks in a row. I, I wish they would have gone corner or something like that instead. Well, yeah, just really corner. Agreed. I wanted a corner. Not that there were any, you know, amazing cornerbacks sitting there at 61 anymore, but, you know, from my perspective, well, it does. I don't know. Oh, yeah. I disagree with that because I think there was the one dude from Syracuse, right? Yeah. Um, yep. What's his name? Ig- Igbenogaby or I don't know how you say No, Efatu something. Efatu Melifanwu. I oh, think right. that's it, yeah? Yeah. And he he played for Syracuse. He's a big cornerback, long. Um, seems like it would have been kind of a Bills-style pick, but uh, he ended up going later on to the Lions, so... I wouldn't have been angry if they had taken Melifanu there, but just Boogie Basham instead, I guess. I think they're really dead set on making sure that the defensive line isn't going to be something they're going to have to spend a lot of money on next year. That's what this has to add up to, right? This has to end up being, you've got Epineza who spent all last year learning, you know, under Hughes and Addison and, and Murphy and who else was there. And then now this year you've added... Boogie and Greg Rousseau, who are going to go through that same process. Hopefully, by the end of this season, two of those guys are ready to be your starting defensive ends so that you don't have to have Jerry Hughes and or Mario Addison on the books when Mm. Tremaine Edmonds and Josh Allen and these guys get a real contract. So I think it looks like they're trying to, to shave some money off the cap to make room for those positions. But I would have liked to add a corner because now you're going into this season with the basically the exact same secondary you had last year. Minus Josh Norman. Yeah. I'm not sure how much of a uh, loss that is, though. Yeah, fair enough. And then after the second round, they move on to round three and they pick uh, a, an offensive tackle named Spencer Brown out of northern Iowa, who I really enjoyed researching. I liked looking him up and watching some of his game tape and hearing his opinion on being picked and I loved his video of him smashing a table afterwards. I think that's a good pick at in round 3 adding a, a monster deep or offensive tackle to the roster um, at pick 93. Yeah. I don't have any problems with that. I mean, I agree. He seems like He's going to be a guy who can develop into either, uh, I think, right at right tackle, right, for the eventuality that Daryl Williams, or they move on from Daryl Williams someday. Right. Um, Spencer Brown, huge, 
Looks like the freaking Hulk. Yeah, he's um, listed at 6'8 and 3'11 to 3'20, depending on where you look. Yeah, but he stats. looks bigger because he's not like, he's not a chunky lineman. He's just jacked. Yeah. Um, but even at that pick, the Melifanu guy was still on the board and... You know, I, I get, I think this is related to what you just said about the defensive line. I think this pick was about looking to the future in terms of salary cap and everything like that at the offensive line as well. Daryl Williams, I can't remember how many years he signed for with his contract, uh, his re-signing, maybe three, right? I'll look that but up. I guess the idea is for Spencer Brown to one day take over at that position and be a, you know, a cheaper alternative. But would have liked to see them take a cornerback still. And yeah. there were still a couple on the board. Well, and then they just stuck with it. Again, they, they did the same thing in with their next pick. Uh, they just picked another yeah. offensive tackle. So they do seem to be very committed to the idea of we've valued the players at this value, and if the most valuable player is there, then we're going to take him. That kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, Daryl Williams is signed for three years at $8 million. Um, that's his cap hit next year. So seems like they're doing the same thing. I don't think they're trying to replace Dawkins. He's probably their left tackle for the future. But it looks like they just took two more kicks at the can. Maybe this guy pans out, Spencer Brown. Or maybe the fifth-round pick, Tommy Doyle, ends up being a valued um, offensive tackle pick. And one of those guys can step in and play right tackle when they're done with Williams' contract. Sure, yeah. So Tommy Doyle is pick five in... Um, or their fifth pick in in the draft, and or fourth pick in round five, pick number 161 from Miami of Ohio. Seems like an all-around athlete. Again, another monster of a human, 6'8". Um, just another physical physical freak, seems like. Yep. I think, you know, I'm, I'm always a fan of dudes like uh, Spencer Brown, who I think was originally like a tight end or something like that. Yeah. He, he played a skill position in high school and he was sort of transformed into this offensive lineman. And I think Tommy Doyle, I don't think he was a skill position in high school, but he's just been packing on weight to what was already like a very athletic frame and stuff like that. So I'm always a huge fan of big athletic linemen. The interesting thing that I read about Tommy Doyle is that he was actually like an an amazing hockey player as a kid who won a state championship like three years in a row when he was younger in Minnesota, but he became enormous and so had to kind of give up hockey because it's just not a sport where that giant skill set translates unless you can be fast. Um, So he moved on and focused on football and just kept growing and um, hopefully... Bills can take his physical tool set and turn it into something dynamic. Cool. Um, in round six, they do something interesting. They end up, they, they pick their 203rd pick, but then they end up trading back and accumulating an extra draft pick to go with pick 212. They pick 212 and 213. So let's talk about these six round uh, draft picks a little bit. Uh, the 206th pick, or third pick, was Marquez Stevenson. He's a wide receiver from Houston. He's a little guy. Well, 5'10", um, but he seems like he's just crazy fast. I don't think this guy's going to break yeah. into the you know starting lineup anytime soon. But 
with a team that doesn't have Andre Roberts returning kicks and punts anymore, maybe they want to see if they've got something in this guy. I, I think that's my analysis of this pick. What do you think? Um, looking at some stuff on him before the draft, I remember thinking of him as like a very poor man's T.Y. Hilton. He's small, like you said, 5'10", like 180. Um, very fast. His game is built around speed. But unlike T.Y. Hilton, he doesn't have a reputation for being like a very tough guy, uh, has had a lot of injury issues, and sort of gets bullied on the field because they say he doesn't really have a lot of playing strength. So um, he was productive in college, which I always like from wide receivers. I think production is a better indication of you know what they're going to do at the next level than almost anything else in some cases, especially from wide receivers. But yeah, he he uh, seems a bit of a you know bit of a oh well he does seem to have some issues with physicality. Um, I read a lot that said not a physical player. Even his instincts as a route runner are a little bit lacking. So, I, you know, this is where the conversation starts to get a little bit interesting in terms of who's going to make the team next year. Because in previous draft years, you could look at the picks rounds one through seven and go, okay, well, it'll be fun to see all these guys out on the field next year. But now that this mm-hmm. roster is so dense, you're looking at potentially none of the picks in the sixth round or later making the team. And yeah. one of the things that Brandon Bean pointed out which is sort of contrary to the way that I was approaching this, was he was saying trading back and accumulating more picks makes sense for them because in a normal year when they would be able to fill their training camp roster with all of these undrafted priority free agents, no one wants to come to the Bills training camp who's an undrafted free agent because they know they're not making the team anymore. So if you need those guys, you pretty much have to draft them at the end of the draft. I, st- I still think that means you're, they're not making this team, but it sounds like he was basically saying, we're not getting any quality free agents to come try out for this team next year, so why not trade back, pick up an extra, uh, what could essentially serve the purpose of, of an undrafted free agent for us, um, and you know, yeah. see what these guys can do. But I don't, I don't know, with this pick, I don't think he's making the team unless he turns out to be an outstanding return man. I think that's a really interesting philosophy from being... And it is always interesting to me, like, the way that the undrafted rookie free agents kind of, uh, yeah, decide on which team they go to. You hear a lot about players towards the end of the draft, before the draft's even over, getting calls from teams saying, like, hey, we're not going to draft you, but if you come to Dallas, we'll give you this bonus or that bonus. So it's kind of like its own little, um, yeah, subplot of the draft but uh, yeah so I, I can understand Bean's thinking there um, what did you think about DeMar Hamlin the pick uh, from Pittsburgh he seems like like a leader in that defense that he played in at Pittsburgh and another stand-up guy another guy who I think probably isn't making this team although I was hoping they might add some safety depth it's just that with a pick that late I don't know what his chances are of actually making his way onto this roster unless he turns out to be a pretty valuable special teams asset. Um, but yeah. I liked the pick. He seems like a good kid, and he seems like he was a, a really reliable safety in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's like what they call, I think, a box safety, where he's not going to be 
so fluid in coverage and stuff like that, but he's always ready to hit a guy and rush in to the line and run support and stuff. I like that, but seems like uh, lack of speed is his biggest problem, and so we'll see if he can stick. And the same thing with their uh, 213, pick 213, Rashad Wild Goose, who I am praying makes this roster because having a guy named Wild Goose sounds awesome. Oh, dude. But that's got again. That's got jersey written all over it. You gotta get one of those. I know, it. but this guy's not. I don't think he's making this team. He's a sixth round pick I don't think so. from Wisconsin. Um, he again has a shoulder injury on his resume. He's got some of these injury concerns. Um, his tackling is as inconsistent, and you know you can't expect guys picked this late to be all around reliable defenders. But you know he's got question marks. He's five ten, one ninety one. Seems like he can play inside and outside, or at least he did at Wisconsin. Um, but I'm not holding my breath that any of the picks beyond Marcus Stevenson are, are going to make this team. Okay. Um, I like him, if only for the last name. That being said, he's small. He doesn't have a reputation for like good playing speed. And he's a bit of a penalty magnet. Mm. He had a lot of pass interference and holding penalties. And the other thing that surprised me, I thought the Bills were into dudes with, this sounds weird, but I thought the Bills were into dudes with long arms. And Rashad Wild Goose is both small and short-armed, so that was interesting to me. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure what that pick does for you. And you look at the overall depth chart, you know, he slots in definitely behind... Dane Jackson, you know, last year's sixth or seventh round pick. Um, Cam Lewis, even, I think, is probably ahead of Wild Goose on the depth chart there. So I, I don't think he's a lock to make the team at all. But it'll mm-hmm. be fun to see a guy running around with the name Wild Goose on his shirt. I guess that's, that's about all he does for me. Um, and then kind of sort of the same thing with the seventh round pick, Jack Anderson. This is a guy who seems like can play inside offensive line, but... Um, I don't know what his chances are of making the team. He's from Texas Tech. He's picked number 236, 6'4 um, and a half, 210. And uh, I don't know, any thoughts on our seventh round offensive lineman? This is actually my sleeper for the Bills draft class. I'm not going to like stake my reputation on this dude and say that he's going to be a, a starter in a couple of years, but I think that this guy has a lot of potential Jack Anderson he's big like you said he was for what this is worth to you he was a big time recruit coming out of high school and he actually turned down apparently a bunch of um, yeah offers from bigger schools to go to Texas Tech he was very good for them but he had an injury his well it would have been his redshirt sophomore year I think Mm mm-hmm so maybe, you know, the Bills can hit on Jack Anderson, develop his potential, and turn him into the dude who was one of the top offensive linemen in his recruiting class. But, yeah, I would like to see that happen. The offensive line doesn't have too many spots available, I wouldn't think, at this point. So we'll see what happens there. If they're going to keep both Spencer Brown and Tommy Doyle, then you still got Cody Ford, Mitch Morse, um, John Feliciano, Deion Dawkins, and then maybe add one or two other names to that list. They've got five other guys under contract, so we'll see what happens on the offensive line. Um, So that's the Bills draft, and 
you know, outside of the first few picks, probably not anything too earth-shattering. This is a team with a pretty deep roster as is, so that's an unusual draft for the Bills, but that's yeah, right. probably fine. You know, if you're a good team, you don't need these guys to come in and make a difference immediately. Mm-hmm. So um, we said maybe we want to take a look at some of the other teams in the AFC East. we got a couple minutes here. What are your thoughts on, let's start with the Dolphins. How'd they do, in your opinion? Well, I think that the Dolphins have been widely praised for their uh, draft class. I loved their first round. I think that, you know, Jalen Waddle, the wide receiver out of Alabama, he was actually outpacing Devontae Smith before he got injured last year. And... You know, if you were outpacing the Heisman Trophy winner at wide receiver, I think that's big-time stuff. And it's really great, I think, because it reunites Tua with one of his familiar targets from his college days. So I'm always a fan of that, just like what the Bengals did with Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase reuniting those two. Yeah. Um, Their second pick in the first round, Jalen Phillips from Miami, is a guy that we talked about a lot in our first pod because he was... I think my pick for the Bills, if he was around, like, not best case scenario, but close to it, right? Yeah. I think he's got a ton of potential, and he seemed to start to put it together for the University of Miami last year. Or wait, yeah, University of Miami, right? Or yeah. Or is it Miami U? Okay. Well, not the Miami U. of Ohio, not that one. Yeah, definitely not. The real Miami, at least. He was my pick for, I hope the Bills don't draft this guy, because he's got so much else yeah. going on. Um, yeah. But... He's you and I were talented. exact opposites on that. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So I, I, I like those picks for the Dolphins. They're both very talented. I think if I had to pick a team in the AFC East right now that I'm worried about closing the gap between them and the Bills, it's the Dolphins. But it pretty much all rides on Tua. If he turns out to that. be good, then they're going to be a big rival for the Bills in the AFC East. But if he stinks, they're done. That's it. It's not going to matter unless they hit on that Dude. quarterback. The one big thing that I was surprised with and that I don't like about the Dolphins draft class is that they didn't hit on running back until round seven. Like, they didn't have a single... They had one dude uh, surpass 500 yards rushing last season, and that was Miles Gaskin, who I think was a seventh-round draft pick a year ago or two. And I thought for sure that they were going to get a running back sooner rather than later and they didn't get one until the seventh round and they um, had a lot of top picks too they had four picks in the first two yeah. rounds and a third round pick they absolutely could have added one of those top running backs but while we're on the subject of running back what did you think of the jaguars taking oh, etn after taking <laughs> so you like the idea of a quarterback being reunited with uh, a wide receiver how about the idea of yeah. a quarterback ring being reunited with his, his uh, running back and both picks happening in the first round of the draft? I mean, I wouldn't have done it, but it's so on brand for Urban Meyer. Like, Urban Meyer is the dude who just salivates over five-star talent and stuff like that as a college coach. And so it seems like he's bringing that to the next level, right? Um, James Robinson, the Jaguars' incumbent starter, is former undrafted rookie free agent and even though he had a great rookie season I think that Urban Meyer was like shaking in fear at the fact that he was going to have to 
play with some dude who came out of a small school and wasn't even drafted as his starting running back. So the only weird thing to me about that, I mean, like I said, it's super on brand for Urban Meyer. So the only weird thing was his own um, comments after the fact. And I think he called ETN like a third down back. Really? Which, yeah. Like, how can you even begin to make that argument if you just use the first-round draft pick on Well, right. I don't think anyone in the NFL would describe him as a third-down back, but you would think that the team of all teams who would not use that description would be the team that burned their second first-round draft pick on him. Exactly. You can't just—I I just think that's a crazy pick. Unless the whole plan for Jacksonville is just to accumulate fans and they think they're just going to grab the whole southern United States— by grabbing Clemson well, stars, then fine. But it's hey, you see what they you see. Tebow was back in the news having a tryout for the Jaguars, so you could be onto something. There. Yeah, they just want to be the hard knocks team moving forward. Yeah. I I don't think it's yeah. a smart football decision. I say if you're going to draft the best quarterback in the draft, you better start putting some talent around him as far as an offensive line and some receivers that he can throw to. But sure, I, why yeah, not draft a well, running back? I I don't have anything. You know for the what Jaguars. though. At the same time, what helps a quarterback more than having a super strong running game, right? So if you're convinced that ETN, not is not that you're convinced ETN's going to be an awesome third down back, but if you're convinced ETN can actually carry the load and be a feature back and do something for Trevor Lawrence, much like Ezekiel Elliott did for Dak Prescott in their rookie seasons, I think then, sure, that's a fine pick. Well, the Jaguars. At the end of the first round, it's whatever. They drafted yeah. Leonard Fournette fourth overall in like 2017 or 18, and they yeah. made that the focus. And that sure didn't open up any sort of passing game for the team. I don't know. I don't. I don't need the Jaguars to be good. So I thought it was kind of funny to see them get the generational talent at quarterback and then make a, what I thought was a ridiculous decision. Yeah, we'll see how it plays out. How about the Jets? Um, yeah, I was just going to say, I think the Jets also widely praised for their draft, uh, much more for the earlier part of the draft than the later part. But uh, like you said, with the Dolphins, like even, even more so, the Jets class really relies on one dude, and that's going to be Zach Wilson. Um, we're going to see real quick whether or not he was a one-year wonder at BYU or whether he's the real deal, but I think it was smart what they did to lay the foundation for a good offense around him with their second pick in the first round, Elijah Vera Tucker out of USC. He was widely touted as probably the best interior offensive lineman prospect, and he's a guy who could also play outside a tackle if needed. And then their second round draft pick, Elijah Moore, a lot of people loved him, and I don't think anybody would have blinked twice if he had snuck his way into the like second half half of the first round, excuse me. So I think that their first three picks were super solid, like knocked them out of the park. And they're clearly just doing what they didn't do with Darnold, which is just dedicating the offense to giving him the tools and whatever he needs to be successful. But I don't know that we're going right. to know if he's the like if you look at the way that these quarterbacks pan out now. Tua's last season was up and down. We don't know if he's any good, right? One year down. We didn't know if Josh Allen was any good after one year. I think they've got to commit three years to this kid to see if he's any good. 
They, yeah. they can't do what they did with Sam Darnold. They have to give him everything. And if even then he's unsuccessful, then you move on from him. But I don't know. I don't think, I don't think you can tell after one year anymore if this quarterback is going to be successful. There's too many examples of, of players breaking out after a season of looking mediocre. Yeah. Um, how about the exactly. Patriots? Um, I don't know, man. Like, the Patriots, I think that they got lucky with the whole Mac Jones thing being what it is. I don't know how lucky because I don't know how well Mac Jones's game translates to the next level. But you could not have two more different uh, quarterback options than Mac Jones and Cam Newton right now. I do know that. Um, I saw a meme the other day. It was... Mac Jones, the, the now famous photo of Mac Jones, uh, shirtless, yeah. posing for a picture in the locker room, and then like Cam Newton just shirtless, ripped, <laughs> and celebrating on the practice field, and boy oh boy, it'll be interesting to see who comes out on top in that quarterback uh, competition. I do like their second round pick a lot. My favorite thing about this whole thing is everyone acting like Belichick is a genius, he sat there, yeah. and he knew he was going to get his guy. and He didn't have yeah. to trade up. And I don't know if he did or not, but I love picturing him trying to call New York to get the 11th pick to take Justin Fields and them saying, no, we're going to send it to the Bears instead, and him yeah. chucking his phone at the wall like he did against the Bills in Week 17 or 16, whatever that was. I just like yeah. the idea of him not getting what he wanted, which is what I believe happened. I don't believe he could have possibly really wanted Mac Jones and he was the guy and he knew he was going to get him and now him just having to pretend like that's what he wanted all along and we'll see what happens but yeah. I don't think and I was having this conversation with my dad the Alabama thing is really tough it makes it tough to evaluate some of these guys because he had success at Alabama sure. but he was sitting behind the best offensive line in college football and throwing to the best wide receivers in college football and they had a great running game and all the best coaches and you can say that about any of those positions but how do you really evaluate some of these players when you know that they had everything at their disposal and now that they're in the NFL, some of them playing for bottom feeder teams, they're not going to have any of those advantages. So it's yeah. so tough. I think the running backs, obviously, you know, that translates pretty easily, but a lot of this other stuff makes it very hard to, to look at these players and say, oh, well, they're great at Alabama, so they're going to be great in the NFL. Definitely. I couldn't have said it better myself. I think that when when you look next year at the draft, you'll see how talented the offense was that Mac Jones just operated. I think he, by the end of next year, he's, he's going to have played with six probable first-round draft picks at wide receiver alone, uh, including the two that went in the first round last year, the two that went in the first round this year, and then probably at least one that's going to go in the first round next year. And now so he has definitely Harry not going to have that. And he's got Nikhil Harry, first round bust, and what Nelson Aguilar, who just had a really yeah, he's made his way around the league, decent season with the Raiders. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I like the pick. I think that you know he was there, and Bill Belichick does have such a strong connection with Nick Saban at Alabama that you know it could work out. Bill might have seen a lot more of Mac Jones than anybody else did. But I think this is really going to make or break the whole Josh McDaniels as an offensive guru narrative. 
because we saw how last year went without Tom Brady, uh, Cam Newton operating the offense, and we still haven't seen much from their fourth-round pick, Jarrett Stidham, who they kind of touted as the heir apparent of Tom Brady, and then he just, like, I don't know, bottomed out in training camp or something like that. If he wasn't so, good enough to replace Cam Newton last year, yeah, they're not a broken too highly of him. Exactly. Anyway, I think but, it was obviously in any situation where you have teams in your division who have tons of picks at the top of the draft, talking about the Jets and the Dolphins here, they're going to make up ground, which it's hard to sit there and watch them take all this premier talent. Of course, they got a little closer to the Bills, I would say. But I think the Bills are still the class of the division, and I don't think anybody's expecting any of these teams to win the AFC East. Um, but it gets interesting now. Seeing what the Dolphins are going to do right. gets interesting. That's the team that, that is fun for me to take a look at because the Jets are still so, you know, they're still rebuilding on such a foundational level. And I think the Patriots are a, a mess. I think they're a mess. Well, I don't know. I think that people are sleeping on the Patriots, honestly. I think... Sorry, Alexa's telling me what to do over here. <laughs> nice. I thought that was Kara at first, imitating He Alexis. wants me to call a friend. She thinks she's yeah. so lovely of me. He already is, Alexa. Um, yeah, I was going to say that I think that people are sleeping on the Patriots, actually. And people forget how many opt-outs they got hit with last season. That's true. And how many, how many players are coming back, especially... Dante Hightower, their number one dude on defense, did not play last year. Right. And he's going to be back, and he's like a coach on the field, as well as being a pretty awesome linebacker. So, I don't know, man. I think that it's going to be an extremely competitive AFC East. Uh, I do think that the Bills still have the most solid roster, and, and everybody's back, so that's great too. But it will be interesting to see. Uh, the rebound that Bill Belichick uh, may be able to engineer this season. Yeah, well, I'm not going to be paying too close attention. I'm, I'm basically not spending any time thinking about the Patriots anymore, and it feels good. Whoa, okay. Well, the schedule comes out on Wednesday, so that would be an interesting thing to talk about, um, you know, in terms of things we could do this offseason to discuss the Bills, but... Um, when the schedule is released, maybe we can spend some time going through it and see where we predict the Bills end up record-wise. Sounds good. And I'm also thinking that maybe we can do like a uh, who was hurt most by this draft. In terms of on players the on the roster? Yeah, yeah. That's an interesting thing to talk about. I've got some ideas. Winners and losers. All right, cool. All right. Well, we'll see if we can uh, put something like that together after the schedule comes out. But... Um, I think we're good here, ready to wrap this up. Yep, sounds good. All right, man. Well, we'll we'll probably come out with another episode, like we said, after the schedule, or at least sometime before training camp. Take a look at the first one. Um, otherwise, we will talk to you guys soon. See you.